Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us. All right. We're going to continue our sermon series. Seeing, um, my apologies, do we have any announcements? Okay, yeah, let's, let's get our announcements in. All right. Now, we've been talking about our new, our sermon series, Living or... Uh, seeing, seizing, and taking advantage of every God-given opportunity in 2019. Every God-given opportunity in 2019. And we've talked about so many different ways because you cannot get to where God wants you to be. Your specific calling, you can't seize anything if you don't go after it. You will absolutely, you will seize absolutely nothing if you don't go after it. So today we're going to be talking about living the arrested life. Living the arrested life. Now the first thing I want to make clear is I don't know what it's like to be incarcerated. And I'm not trying to belittle anyone who's ever spent time behind bars for any length of time. But I'm simply using this as an analogy. So I don't want anyone to be offended. Because I know several men and there are some women who have come out and their lives have changed for the better. They've got their own businesses. They've gotten married and life moves forward. Incarceration is not the end of your life. So I do want to talk from the topic, living an arrested life. Now, we often think that we know a whole lot. Anyone know someone that knows everything? All right. (laughs) I I thank God for, um, you know, we say we have a lot of brothers. My brother in Dominion. He will call me at 2 o'clock in the morning because he knows I'm working and make sure that everything is all right with me. Um, my friend, uh, Brother Danny, and his beautiful wife are here with us on today. Not to put you on the spot. <laughs> but nevertheless, we, th- we think we, most people know what they know. And they're willing to admit they know. But there are some things that we don't know. And then there are things we think we know until the facts come out to prove us otherwise. But we can often get frustrated because we think we know more than what we do. But what you don't know about is okay. If you don't know, it's okay. It's okay to listen. But we can get frustrated, so, so frustrated because we can't change the things that we know about. Why am I giving you $450 or $600 to fly on a plane from from here to there and you're going to charge me extra money for my luggage? That's frustrating. Why is it that you tell me, take this medication, but then you give me a long list of side effects that are worse than the symptoms themselves? That's frustrating. Why are medical costs And all these other things, wildfires going on in California, school shootings, all of these things we know about and they can aggravate us because we spend so much time focusing on them. Why are the Patriots allowed to win yet another Super Bowl? (laughs) But these things, as comical as it may seem, can affect our lives if we take them too seriously. 
I can't do anything about the wildfires. I can't do anything about prescription costs. But what it is, what I can fix, I can focus on. But I'll tell you this. If you can't fix it, don't let it be your focus. It's one thing to acknowledge that a problem exists. And in your prayer time, read up on things. And in your prayer time, pray, Lord, I pray that you can help. I pray that you would help these people, help these situations. But to spend all day, I mean, you know those people that you can start off a conversation that's all good and it always drifts back to that subject. And it's like, well, why do they have to do this? Like, now I know why I don't talk to you. But if you can't fix it, don't focus on it. If you can't fix it, don't focus on it. Better yet, instead of thinking about everything else that's wrong with the world, let's take a look in the mirror as Pastor Wendy did last week. That was good. Put your phone in selfie mode if you don't have a mirror and say, Lord, just arrest me. I can't fix all this other thing, but I know there's some things about me, Lord, and I'm asking you just to arrest me. A lot of people have resentment, bitterness, and hatred towards God. Bitterness, resentment, and hatred towards God. Because they are not willing to let go of things that God is saying to let go. And we're even asking God, Lord, forgive me even for the things that I have done wrong. And God is willing to forgive us. But then, once he forgives us, we say, well, I'm never going to do that again. If you would just take it away from me, Lord, don't just forgive me, Lord, but take it away from me. And if you take it away from me, I'll never do it again. Has anyone ever prayed that prayer? Keep your hands down. And we say we'll never do it again. And it's like, stop that. Okay. Can I do this? No. Stop doing that. Lord, forgive me for this. We want God to take it away from us, but we often look for something else. Well, your word says that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. But that is not a license for us to do whatever we want to do. I had the question while I was preparing this message. And I know that there's a deeper, more philosophical and spiritual reason as to why this goes on. But my question is, Lord, why don't you just destroy the devil? Why not just get rid of the enemy altogether and everything will be cozy and all of our problems will go away? And again, someone can do a lot more research than what I did, and I'm not trying to dispute anyone. But this is what the Lord gave me. Remember when the children of Israel had finally escaped from Egypt and they finally saw the waters of the Red Sea were parted on both sides. They made it through and all of Pharaoh's army drowned. Even Pharaoh himself, regardless of what the movie says, and again, I tell you, I love that movie, The Ten Commandments. Pharaoh did not escape. All of his army drowned. And in excuse me, Exodus chapter 14, verse 31, it says, when the Israel, or excuse me, and when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of God displayed against the Egyptians, the people did what? 
feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. They feared the Lord and put their trust in God and servant, his servant Moses. Because they hadn't seen God, but they saw Moses. They knew he was a fierce man, a man of conviction, and a man bent on getting them out of captivity. So what do we do when God forgives us and he removes the threat? Guess what? We only fear God until the threat is gone. We only fear God until the threat is gone. If you don't believe me, find out how many people went to church right after 9-11. And as soon as the threat is gone, we no longer fear God. In Exodus, same book, Exodus chapter 32, verse 1, it says this. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, he had gone up to get his instructions. They gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods. Gods. Who will go before us? And, uh, oh, by the way, uh, this fellow Moses, wait a minute, a minute ago you said you feared God and you will follow him and his servant Moses. Now he's just some fellow who brought us up out of Egypt. We don't even know what's happened to him. So the threat of what happened with Pharaoh's army is no longer there. They're laughing, they're joking, they're having a great time. But once the threat is gone, we don't want to serve God anymore. When mankind fell in the... Oh, excuse me. Let me say this as well. Without the devil, we would neither seek nor serve God and soon become our own adversaries. We could remove the devil out of the scene altogether. He could be abolished. I don't know if they put it on the 10 o'clock news, the 6 o'clock news, on YouTube, Facebook, or whatever. But we find out that the devil is no longer here. Then we will no longer search after God, seek after God, And begin, we will eventually begin to fight against each other. If you think it's chaotic now in the world, remove the devil. And we will walk away from God. When mankind fell in the garden, there was a legal, spiritual battle that occurred. Because God created us as free will beings. Who picked out your clothes this morning, Sister Nikki? You did. Did you pray about it first? No, No, you didn't. And you like it that way. Because you know what makes you feel good. What makes you look good. Anybody else pray about what they wore this morning? No. We like that. Anybody pray about what they ate? Okay, well, that's... You said grace. (laughs) Lord, I'm going to eat this. I just need you to bless it. But we like that freedom, don't we? We love the freedom of making our own choices. And even to ask God to forgive us for the wrong choices we've made. But after the fall, God said, if that is the choice that you've made, and the Bible even tells us, we have created man, God and Jesus having a conversation. And they are like we are. They know good and evil. 
But now we have opened up the door. Again, you can remove Satan, but we opened that door to evil. There was no evil in the earth, only in the serpent prior to the fall. So if God has cursed the serpent, being Satan, and he cursed man, he did not curse the woman. He cursed the serpent, he cursed man, but he only put something on y'all. He told you you're going to have a hard time delivering children and that you will long for your husband, for man. But he did not curse the woman. But even after all of that, so who's in control now? Psalms 21, excuse me, Psalms 24 verse 1 tells us this. I'll go ahead and read it, and y'all know it too. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, and they that dwell therein. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, and they that dwell therein. Are y'all they? All right. But then in 2 Corinthians, it says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. So the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, but the earth is the Lord. So who's in control? This is my simple, simple answer to you. And again, we can go deeper into the scriptures, but my simple answer to you is this. God is the builder. God is the owner. God is the creator of the earth. The devil is the landlord. And we are the tenants. God is the builder. He owns the building. The devil is the landlord and we are the tenants. Now, if anyone in here has ever rented an apartment, a trailer, or any other place, you know you can run into some bad landlords. And I don't care how much you pay your rent on time, they always got to find something. Pastor Winnie and I, in the first place we lived in once we got married, we had to pay a condo fee. And the owner paid the condo fee, but it was late. The organization paid, cashed a check, but then turned around and towed both of our cars. Had both of our cars impounded. Why? Because a $10 late fee hadn't been paid. And that's how the enemy does us. We do everything we're supposed to do, and he will never be satisfied. He is the worst landlord. That you will ever know. One day many, many, many years ago. There was a man named Saul from Tarsus. And he was on the road to Damascus. He didn't have any crack or any weed on him. But he had some papers. Y'all follow me? Y'all follow me? He had papers. Didn't Saul have papers because he was about to go and persecute the Christians? Thank you. He had to have orders, in other words, to go and arrest a Christian. He had papers. I don't know what y'all are thinking. <laughs> he was on his way to go commit a crime against humanity. And suddenly, he got knocked down and he got stunned. Y'all follow me? He had a license, but he didn't have any assurance. He had a license, but he had 
no assurance. Yes, God was profiling and Saul fit the description. We at one time were on the most wanted list. And we're talking about living an arrested life. And God was looking for us. God was looking for us, but we were so elusive and evasive. You wonder how after these high speed chases, how do these people get away? They find a way. We escaped capture, at least we thought. Some people were questioned and released. God is looking for you and he questions you. But you knew the right things to tell God and he let you go. He released you. Because of a loophole in the law, we were not taken and arrested at that time. That loophole says, it is God's will that none should perish, but all will come into the knowledge of the truth. It is God's will. It is not God's command. God is not going to force you. And so we ask God, Lord, do I have to accept you? He goes, no. If you don't want to accept me, you don't have to. You're free to go. And we rely on that loophole too many times. So we go to court. We go to court. And there we are standing in front of the judge. There's a rule in law that says that any man who defends himself has a fool for a client. Anyone ever heard that before? Anyone who defends himself in court has a fool for a client. And we were not only foolish, but we were cheap too. Thinking that we could get off. Instead of allowing God to arrest us. And instead, we passed on from friend to friend, neighbor to neighbor, brother to brother. Like, hey, I know who can get you off. Like, who's that? This guy. It's the fur law firm. The who? The fur law firm. And see, the fur law firm has been in business for decades, if not centuries. And all they know is that their slogan is, it's free now. The fur law firm. You won't see them advertise on TV. They operate kind of like in a different way. And you may not always be able to get in touch with one of the lawyers, but you can always talk to Lou. Lou loves to talk to the clients. Lou is the chief operating officer of the Fur Law Firm. Maybe you all know him by his full name, Lou Fur. Anybody know Lou Fur? Oh, excuse me, his whole name. I'm sorry. Lou C. Fur. Lou C. Fur. And we will rely and let Lucifer change us. And get us off every time instead of saying, Lord, arrest me. I know that lawyer. I know that lawyer and I I don't want to deal with him. I'd rather take my punishment. I'd rather take my punishment. So in order for someone to be arrested, a few things have to happen. First of all, there has to be a search. And and I'm not pretending to know the law. But the first thing that has to happen is there has to be a search. Psalms 139.24 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Search me, God. And, And now, all too often, because there's 
There's stipulations in the law and interpretations of the law. Is You can't search me. You can't search me. Do you have probable cause? I got my phone out. I'm recording all of this. But we need to have the attitude towards God of Lord search me. Because if there's anything on me, if there's anything in me that I should not have, I need you to take it away. Search me, God. After you have been searched and you've been taken into custody, there has to be a confession. There has to be a confession. Now, you can, you can go to jail and be there for 40, 50 years and deny that you were ever involved. The DNA may prove otherwise, but witnesses and other evidence can say that you did it. But if you really want to be free, if you want to live the arrested life, you have to give a confession. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. And then comes the hard part. Then we must be imprisoned. Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Now, a prisoner, by definition, is a person legally held in prison, in prison as a punishment for crimes they have committed or while awaiting trial. The only crime that Paul was guilty of was that he shared the gospel. But in Paul saying he was a prisoner, he is simply saying, I am bound to Christ. I'm bound. I'm in bonds. I am captivated by Christ. And at any given time, though, I can walk out that door. But he's already been searched. He's already confessed. And he's living the arrested life. So I did a little bit of research and wanted to know what it's like for a prisoner, an inmate in the federal prison systems. Every day, Wake up breakfast from 6 to 7.30. Everyone, not most, everyone has a job. You may work in the gym, in the library, in the kitchen, and you will work 40-hour work week. You may work Monday through Friday. You may work Tuesday through whatever five days are, Tuesday through Saturday. Monday through Friday, If when you get up in the morning, you have to make your bed. Because I asked, well, what if you just want to lay in bed all day? You have to get up and make your bed. Afterwards, you can go back on your bed and lay down, but you can't get under the covers. On the weekends, you don't have to get up at all. You can sleep all day long. There's a head count every day at 1030 and at 4 o'clock. What about lockdown? If there's any imminent threats to inmates, the staff, or the community. In other words, they think somebody's going to get out. And then I ask the question, what about a strip search? You know, you, you, I, I, get, I don't want to get the, the Hollywood version. I want to get the real version. Causes for strip search, and there are many more than this. Fighting. Cussing at the staff. 
having contact with a visitor or possessing contraband. Now, if, you know, they say, hey, it's visitor time, and I've, I've actually gone to prisons or to a prison, a, a co-worker of mine, his wife was locked up, and it's the same thing. You, you had to be searched before you could have any contact. Everyone in prison is presumably, because we find out through DNA and other witnesses, that some people are actually being exonerated from being in prison. But presumably, everyone in prison is guilty of a felon. And although they chose to break the law on the outside, now that we have been arrested in Christ, we are subject to a whole new set of rules on the inside. We broke the outside rules, now there are new rules on the inside. And the same with the prisoner. You broke the rules on the outside, you're under arrest. You're incarcerated. Now you've got a new set of rules on the inside. When an inmate violates one or more of these rules in the cause for strip search, they are subject to going into solitary confinement, or as they call it in prison, the hole. And I said, well, give me an example of what's it like? He said, you can go up to a guard and cuss him out. He said, that's, I'm thinking like in the movies. Oh, you go in there and then you come out. <gasps> I'm good. Five to ten days in the hole for cursing out a guard. Five to ten days for cursing out a guard. When, while God embraces those who hold on to him, we must ensure that we never violate his inside rules. God's inside rules. So when it says the cursing, what kind of things are coming out of our mouths? We wonder why, why these things are happening to me. Well, look at, first of all, what's coming out of your mouth. They asked Jesus' disciples, why didn't they wash their hands before they ate? Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out. So we're wondering why we keep ending up in the hole. Think about what's coming out of your mouth. And I'm telling you, that's something that the Lord is constantly working on with me about. And it's not the four-letter words. It's the griping, it's the moaning, it's the complaining. It's the things in life, again, that I cannot change and I continue to focus on them. It's like, hey, I, I, I want to tell you something. I'm not complaining now. I just want to get this off my chest. <laughs> I ain't complaining. I just need somebody to be in agreement with me in prayer. We don't do that, we don't do that though. Wow. fighting who are we at odds with who are we at odds with there are people and maybe you know some it's like you really haven't let that go you still are you serious are you still holding on to that contact with the visitor there are some people in our lives that God's saying I don't need you to go around them. You need to love them. 
Maybe you can call them, but this whole hanging out with them. And, and don't let's not get this twisted. That once you become a child of God and you're saved, you're born again, that you cut the world off. Well, guess what? That's not what Jesus did. They accused him of, of being anything other than the son of God because he hung out with sinners. But we have to know who it is that we're in the company with, what it is they're doing and what their motives are. Hey, I just came over to say hi to you. Maybe, you know, is everything okay? Fine. And then you leave and then you move on. It's nothing wrong with hanging out with other people, but you have to be in control. And then possessing contraband. Now, if we think about this in the spirit realm, if if we took everyone and lined them up against the wall, put your hands up where we can see them, and the Holy Ghost came by and patted you down, what would he find? And I'm, I'm not talking about your cell phone. I'm not talking about your offering. He's like, wait a minute. What, what's this right here? Why do, you, why do you have this bad attitude? Did, didn't I tell you that the greatest of the two commandments were to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself? Why, why don't you love them? Why don't you love them? I do love them. Then how come you don't ever speak to them? Why don't you speak to them? I'm guilty. So if we get against the wall and the Lord begins to shake us down, we're saying, Lord, arrest me. And then the Lord's like, well, well, what about this? Why do you think it's okay to keep showing up late for work? And then they find the Holy Ghost finds that one thing, and you're like, I don't know how that got there. <laughs> that ain't mine. <laughs> See, huh? This is my cousin pain. <laughs> Can we live an arrested life? I want to I want to give you one last set of scriptures. Matthew chapter twenty two, verse beginning at verse eight. There's a wedding that's about to take place. And then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready. The king. But those who I invited did not deserve to come. Back in that time, whenever there was a wedding, there weren't soccer games. There was no race. There was no football game. We didn't have to work late. But whenever there was a wedding, you were told well enough advance so you could mark it on your calendar to make sure everyone was there. And so when the servants went out to tell them the wedding is coming, the wedding's about to take place, they all said, we ain't coming. And he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready. Go ahead, next verse, verse 9, please. So go out into the streets, to the street corners, and and invite to the banquet anyone that you can find. Everyone else had turned them down. Anyone that you can find, go ahead and invite them. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find. They gathered all the people they could find. Everyone, not those who were invited, everyone that they could find, both the good and the bad, the bad and the good. 
and the wedding hall was filled. So everyone in the town, whether you were invited or not, now you're at the wedding. But when the king came into the, to see the guest, he noticed a man there who was not wearing the wedding clothes. Next verse. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, my friend? And the man was speechless. Hold it right there. So doesn't it seem a little unfair? You're going to chastise this guy? I, I mean, I was doing my own thing. I was happy. I was good where I was. You invited me in here. Now you're asking me why I don't have wedding clothes on. Because the custom was if you did not have wedding clothes, you went and you asked. Like in some restaurants, it's like, sir, we need you to put a tie on. Here's a tie. So if he did not have the wedding clothes, all he had to do was request. I need wedding clothes. But he did not ask. Next verse. And the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. God is saying, I'm inviting you. You broke all the outside rules. These are the inside rules. I'm coming to you and I'm placing you under arrest. And you make it easy on yourself. I need to know everything right now. I already know what you're thinking. But I need you to say it. Just like we do with our kids. I already know what you did wrong. I, I need to hear it from you. We're going to talk about this. But Lord, I don't have what you're looking for. No, you have everything I'm looking for. You have everything I'm looking for. Stop trying to get off on every little technicality. Every little loophole and come to God with your hands up. This is why we raise our hands during praise and worship. It's a sign of saying, Lord, I surrender. Lord, arrest me. I come to worship you, God. I'll give you beautiful ashes. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Whatever it is that you're willing to release. I'll give you more. I will give you more. But we have to be willing to live the arrested life. Now, in seeing, seizing, and taking advantage of every God-given opportunity in 2019, you know, some jobs, they'll say, well, they'll have on there, have you ever been convicted of a felon? You check that block and you're automatically and it's not that you're disqualified, but they know other people who are more qualified. But you know, God is not going to use that against you. God is not going to use that against you. Think of what Saul was doing when he got arrested. When he got knocked down. And then he went on to write two-thirds of the New Testament. Think of Peter standing right next to Jesus. You've been with this man for three years and you've seen him perform miracles and you have the audacity to pull a sword out and cut Malchus's ear off and Jesus had to perform another miracle. If you mark the block 
felon, God is not using it against you. He just wants to know, are you willing to come clean with me? Because one of the worst things you can ever do is lie. Because when people find out the truth about you, they see you in a whole different way. And you can't lie to God. You cannot lie to God. But you can withhold your own blessings because you won't let God arrest you. You will not confess. And you won't let God search you. Let God search you. There's a song that says, empty me, Lord, of anything that's not like you. And, and one thing that, that bothers me, I remember years ago, my brother, he told me, he said, you know, one thing that irks me is when you ask somebody, like, well, what about that? And they go, whatever. He said, that irks me to no end. It makes his blood boil when they go, oh, whatever. Like it ain't no big deal. One thing that bothers me is when I'm not about getting in people's business, but when I come to people and I was like, hey, you know, how are you? Like, I'm good. That bothers me. I would rather you tell me I'd rather not talk about it. Just be honest and say, I'd rather not talk about it. Now's not the time. It may never be the time, but I'd rather not talk about it. Okay, I, I respect your privacy. But don't tell me, I'm good. And we keep telling God, I'm good. <laughs> Last I checked, I created you. And I know you're not good. 